0: Berard. Thank you so much for sharing 2018 with me and I'm looking forward to a wonderful and exciting 2019 with you guys. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Berard LLC and Urban Book Editor and I am so happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to my guest on the December 21st show, Gerald Hoover. You can connect with Gerald on social media and you can find his books at Amazon and other retailers. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Gerald shared his experiences with insecurity and stuttering and how reading transformed his life and led to his career as a sports writer and an author. You can get to the replay by visiting somewhere in the middle at bit.ly, B-I-T slash somewhere in the middle radio and checking out the on-demand shows you can find our complete show archives including the december 21st 2018 show at bit.ly bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle podcast i also want to shout out bruce george of the geniuses common movement which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world this is such an important message for the youth but it's not just for the youth guys we all sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, at the last show, I told you guys we'd be switching things up a little in 2019, and i talk about that later. Well, later is now. I'm really pleased to share with you that True Talk, the segment started toward the end of last year with Julia Black, is going to continue into 2019. We love being able to tease out some of those key ideas that our guests talk about so we can tie them into real action items that we can all use in our lives. So we're going to do a couple other things, though. And the most important is we're going to start taking a break during the year. That means we're off two months out of the year so we can regroup and come back fresh and rejuvenated for you guys. Our first hiatus will be in January with another to follow in June. And that means we're going to have a replay tonight and this is a great one. In August, I had Stephen Hutchinson of Power Tax on the show, and he shared valuable tips on saving and growing our money. Since it's the beginning of the year, we could all stand to focus on our money, especially since tax season is starting soon. So here is my conversation with Stephen Hutchinson as he shares his money wisdom. All right, so I would like to welcome my guest, Stephen Hutchinson. Welcome, Stephen, to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here in the middle. Glad to be (laughs) here.
0: Well, you've been on my show before, and last time you were here, we talked specifically about tax planning as we're getting geared up for the new year, uh, especially as it pertains to the new tax laws. And this time, what I'd like to spend a little time on is general financial literacy because one of the things that I think is challenging in all communities across the United States is how we can acquire sufficient funds to cover the nut, so to speak, you know, our day-to-day expenses, but also to go beyond that, growing our incomes um, uh using uh, other tools like investments and so forth to really expand and get to a point where eventually we can save for retirement and so forth and then grow our legacy and have something to hand down to our children. And what kind of drove this home for me was a few years ago, there was this article, I think it was in, I think it was where I was, I was on NPR's website. I think it was NPR's website. And they had a chart where they were talking about uh, income in the United States. And I looked on that chart, and it looked like I was within striking distance of the top 10% of earners in the country. And I'm like, I don't earn that much money. What's going on? (laughs) I I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy if the top 10% of earners in the country are, you know, I think it was something like $105,000 a year. And I'm going, that's no money in the average city. In the average right. urban area, that's, that's no money. You like just paying, you're living check to check on $100,000 a year in the average decent-sized city. And, you know, that was Atlanta. Go out to a city like LA, go out to New York. uh, I would venture a guess to Chicago. I don't know what Chicago's numbers are like, but you get into these really expensive cities: LA, uh, San Francisco, San Diego, those kinds of places. New York City. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, $100,000. You're probably living under a bridge. That's all I can figure. So that. that really drove home to me that something else is going on here. As far as if that many people you're talking about potentially 90% of the population of this country not even earning what I consider to be a reasonable wage to just live indoors, forget about living well, just live indoors and, you know, have something to eat. What does that mean for us as a country? And then how can we help to turn this around? What kinds of things can we do? So I would love to hear you uh, talk about those things.
1: All right. Well, for me, here is the the swooping answer the the death nail or the life nail is that the thing that is missing in that equation and how we got to that position and not only got to that position but it's being accepted people are accepting this as a as acceptable <laughs> basically people are going along with it has to do with a lack of financial literacy, period, period. People think the problem is a lack of finance. I argue differently. It's not a lack of finance. It's a lack of financial literacy. And that's how we got in this position in general. The broadest answer is that most people are financially illiterate. And even so, if – yes, go ahead. What were you going to say?
0: So, well, I was going to ask you if you can just define financial literacy for us so that we, yes. you know, we're all on the same page with the terminology. We all know what you mean by that.
1: Okay. Now, it, uh, I, I, I've actually been consciously uh, researching and redefining redefining that terminology for myself and the essence of financial literacy, I would say in a in a nutshell, the seed of financial literacy is knowing how to use money, is to know how money works and how to use it. Okay, so it doesn't have anything to do with how much money, because I believe most of us are miseducated or indoctrinated to believe that the goal is simply to increase money is to get more money is to make more money, but my argument is if I do not know what to do with money, how will having more money solve my problem it will not, it it would be like uh, as an analogy if if i don't know how to use exercise. Uh, equipment, the solution to my problem is not getting more exercise equipment or Mm -hmm. getting better exercise equipment. I want the best, most expensive exercise equipment there is, but I don't know how to use it. Is that exercise equipment going to help me? No, because I don't know how to use it. So analogously, financial literacy means knowing how to use money, how to use that tool, how to define it, how to utilize it, how to acquire it, and once it's acquired, how to increase it, and once it's increased, how to keep it, and once it's kept, how to pass it on to the next generation or to your next loved ones. That, I think, is the, is, is the, is the map.
0: Okay. So let's take those one by one. Um, Let's talk, let's define money.
1: Okay. Yes. That's a great one. That's a great one. So if, if we break it down, we can look at it literally. And I've done this. I've asked people, what is money? Okay. And actually, aside from the literal definition of money, like, oh, money is a currency, money is something that you exchange for goods, you know, those kind of definitions, those like academic definitions of money. Once you get past that, and you ask a person, what is money, you get deeper into their personal conception and their personal perception of what money is. And that's what motivates people. Each person actually has their own inner definition of what money is. Okay? So aside from that, if I were to define money, I would say money is simply a tool, like any other tool. There's no there's nothing special about it. It is a tool to be used. And just as I use the analogy of the exercise equipment, Similarly, with a tool, if you give me a a very shiny, excellent, valuable toolkit, but I do not know how to use the tools, again, it will not benefit me. So just having it, just like just having money, doesn't necessarily solve a person's problem um, unless you know how to use it. So, my definition in this sense of money is one it's a tool two, if we go uh, a little bit further, money is an addiction hmm. okay it is an, it's an, it's an obsession practically everyone practically I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule, so you know i'm I'm not. I think there's always exceptions to every rule. But generally speaking, money is an obsession. It is an addiction. And everybody, of course, of, and I'm using these you know, pejorative terms like everybody and everything, but I, I understand that there are always exceptions. But I'm just using these words to, to, um, to get my point across emotionally. Because as human beings, we function most of the time on the platform of emotions. We're not functioning rationally, intelligently, calculatingly. Because if we were functioning in a calculating way, in an intelligent way, then they wouldn't be – the top The top 10% wouldn't be $100,000. You know, that would be more like the top 90% would be there. You know what I'm saying? If we were actually, like, utilizing – the resources and the access that we had if I could just limit this, let's say, to America, if, right. we, if we were actually utilizing the access that we have and understanding it and actually making advances, there would be far more wealthy people in this country. The fact that most people are not is indicative of our uh, understanding um, in relation to money or to wealth. So. But the definition being one is it's a tool. Money is a tool. Money is a, is a is an addiction and it's an obsession. Okay. So that we can leave that there for the definition of money. Is that is that cool as a definition?
0: Yeah. Yeah, although so let's go ahead and, and talk about this whole um obsession thing.
1: Oh yes. Uh, and and mm-hmm. go ahead.
0: Well, I, I want to bring this up because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, mm, obsession, that seems like a little extreme.
1: It you is. Know? It is extreme.
0: Everybody, are, are people really obsessed? But then we look at our culture when, uh, of, of course, I'm telling my age when I say this, right? Remember, I remember when, I mean, we've always had these shows where people talked about, you know, how fancy people live. But the one that did it for me was, was um, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. you remember that show? Uh, yes. And that, I think, was the one that just tipped it over the edge because we all used to have the magazines and we'd look and see, you know, Vanity Fair and all these magazines, how rich people lived and so forth, and everybody had their wish books, and then you'd have the TV commercials with the cars and this, that, and the other. But it seemed like things ramped up to an absolutely insane level once that show hit. I I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that it really kind of shifted the perception of money and how we should all be living at that point in time. And is that I don't know, like that that kind of got people thinking about money constantly, like I want to be rich. I want to you know what I mean? And and, yeah. and really focusing on money. And it seems like our culture has gotten to that point where everything is about you know, just those dollar dollar bills, right?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. When,
0: when you talk about the obsession, are you talking about it at the individual level? Or are you talking about it at the cultural level? What do you mean when you say obsession?
1: I mean obsession. Uh, just if if you look at the word obsession, um, actually, there's a personality disorder, you know, which is based on a uh, compulsive obsessive behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay compulsive meaning uncontrollable obsessive meaning that it just overwhelms a person a person is overwhelmed with this desire okay and it's out of their control they're not mm-hmm. even in control of themselves anymore so money has that type of effect on people or the perception of money has that effect on people so people are doing all types of insane things to acquire money okay so and, and, and their their priorities are completely upside down the number one priority being for most people is money most people have what they call their price that is um, that is a concept actually they use in the, in like the mob and in the politics and, and the, the concept is, everybody has their price mm. they have their price so if if everybody has their price that is a that is a manifestation of this obsession that we have with money which is the wrong conception of money because we are obsessed again with acquiring money and the society that we live in reinforces that obsession through the music it reinforces that obsession through the television shows through the movies through politics for instance do you think we could ever have a president who is not wealthy have we had any presidents from the working class of america you know maybe you know maybe 200 years ago or 100 years ago or something but even in our political arena everything is motivated by money and the more money you have the more power you have and the more respect you can demand from everybody because the qualification is just that you have money. It doesn't even matter how you acquired the money. You could have acquired the money through the most vile, um, cruel, evil uh, means and ways, but because you have money, it's going to invoke respect. People are going to respect you, you see, and that's also the evidence and the proof that people are obsessed with the money. Because why am I respecting, you know, Mr. This and Mrs. That and this person who's on television, that person, simply because they have money. Now, if you took those very same people and they had no money, who would respect them? Who would listen to them? Okay.
0: (laughs) You know, you know what that what what that makes me think of is that I think a lot of people don't understand the origins of this country. They really bought into the notion that the nation was started because of political principles when it was really founded as an economic enterprise.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then again when you look at the statistics, ninety percent of the population earning less than $100,000 a year, you have to understand that people have a misunderstanding about money because if they understood it, they would not be in that position. We would not be in that position. As hard as people are working, as much as people talk about money – think about money, and try to put on a persona of having money, they are obsessed with the wrong thing. They are obsessed with money itself and the things that money can buy, as opposed to being absorbed in understanding financial literacy, which gives you the power and the understanding how to use and control money for your benefit.
0: Okay, that and that brings, right. us, that brings us right to the next thing, which is utilize it. How do you utilize money? How should people be thinking about their money so that they can utilize it
1: effectively? Okay, so the first thing is to get clear within oneself about what we actually, how do we feel about money and how do we think about money? Because most of us are in denial about how we feel and think about money. So if you say to a person, you know, are are, are you obsessed with money? Practically ninety-nine out of a hundred people are going to say, "Not me. I am obsessed with money. Money ain't that important. Uh, you know, money's not that important to me." Okay, how many days a week do you work? Six, you know, six and a half. How many jobs do you have? Two you know, two and a half, three, how much time do you spend with your children? Well, you know, as much as I can, whenever I can. Why are you spending all this time working? Well, you know, I like, I like my job or, you know, this I'm passionate about my work. So then let me ask you this. If your check was removed, would you go to work? <laughs> would you, you know, be happy with your passion and all that? No. So most of us are in denial. Why are we, you know, slaving away, literally, being paid peanuts, okay? And I say it's because of the addiction to money. We're addicted, but we won't admit it. We're obsessed with it, but we won't admit it. And, therefore, if I'm in denial, I cannot actually see things clearly. Nor can I put my problem in the proper perspective so that I could solve it or resolve it. So I think the first thing that I would need to do or we would need to do is to go within and truly understand our feelings and our attachment. That would be my other definition of money. Besides it being a tool, besides it being an addiction, besides it being an obsession, it's an attachment. It's a very deep subconscious attachment that we have. We're very much attached to money. And and see, we can understand these things not by what people say, but how they behave. People can say anything, okay? So – when we're getting back to the utilization, how to utilize it, the first thing is to redefine it, is to go in, inside myself and truly understand my emotional attachment to it. That's the other aspect of money I would bring out, is that money, in relation to its being an attachment, is a very deep emotional attachment. Money is a very, very emotional, uh, emotional thing with us, but we don't admit it, nor do we Consciously think of it as something emotional. But for instance, a person gets fired from their job. You heard of people going postal. Yep. You know what I'm saying. Why does the person go postal? Because they lose a job. You know? Because that was their emotional attachment, and you took it away from them. It's more than just the money. It's the attachment to it. Well, and I'm that- gonna I'm gonna give you
0: some pushback here, Stephen. I'm gonna give you some pushback. Truth is, you've got to live indoors, and here in the United States, we're not trading chickens for rent, you know, for our, for our place to live. We're not, you know, this isn't an agrarian society where, you know, if you have eggs and I have um, potatoes, we make a trade. It, so there uh, clearly we have emotional ties but if i you know if i work for you know joe blow and i make a certain amount of money and that money's keeping me and my kids living indoors if i lose my job and i see no prospect for any other work i might you know what's to keep me from going postal i'm thinking i'm i can't feed my kids i can't keep them living indoors i'm i'm more valuable dead than alive i got all kinds of other things i could be thinking so i'm i'm going to give you some pushback what what separates the obsession part from the "I just need to live
1: indoors part, and i don 't see a way to do it without this this money what the the difference is that if you weren't so emotionally attacked, you'd see other ways because there are there's always alternatives there's no such thing as there's only one way something can be done there's only one way I can make money no, you believe there's only one way because mm-hmm. of your emotional attachment. If you would release emotionally, you would realize options that you have. A sober mind, that's the function of the mind, is to solve problems. That's what the mind is for. It just That's all it really is meant for, just like a computer. Computers are really just meant to solve problems. Now, you don't have to use it to solve problems. You could use it for entertainment all day if you want, and that's what people do, you know, but you can utilize, uh, the mind should be utilized to solve problems. Survival is a problem. I have to eat. I need shelter. I need clothing. That is a problem that every human being is going to be faced with on planet Earth. And that's why I have a mind, It's to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. But if I'm overly emotionally attached and obsessed with money, that completely distorts my whole process of thinking, I can't think of things in their correct or in their proper perspective because I am overcome by my emotions. And, and, that, and that's not the main problem is not being overcome by the emotions. The main problem is being in denial of it mm. because then I can't change it. It's just like, you know, having a disease. The main problem is not necessarily having the disease. The the problem would be is if I deny that I have the disease, if I deny it, the disease is going to overcome me, if I acknowledge, oh, you know, I got whatever, I got AIDS or cancer or tuberculosis or diabetes or whatever, if I acknowledge it, I can. my mind will then switch gears and start to work towards solving it. If I deny it, my mind will not work to solve it period Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So, let's get into how so how should people use money? Let's 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 go with the basics. I'm earning, you know, okay. $25,000 a year and um I want to live indoors <laughs> <laughs> and and I want to eat because that seems like a good thing to do. Uh and I might even want to have AC sometimes.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I'm not even going to get into whether or not you have kids because if you have $25,000 a year income these days and you have kids, heaven help you. <laughs> That's all that I can say. But what, what, how should I be using my money? Let's say I'm a single person.
1: How should I be using my money? Okay. So remember, the, the first step was to redefine, okay, to go inside, to, to check ourselves and check our emotional uh, relationship with money. The next step is to redefine money. The world has given you a definition and me and everybody else through these educational institutions, through the political structure, through the entertainment industry, they have defined money for us. You have to redefine money. Redefine it for yourself. What is it? And what do you want it for? You see, you have to put it in perspective. You have to take money off of its altar of something that you are supposed to work for. Because here is the the fundamental miscalculation that we have and that we are indoctrinated into believing. And that fundamental indoctrination is that we are meant to work for money. Hmm. That is... A psychological basis, a foundation for the rest of – now, if I believe that, if I believe I am supposed to work for money, many other conclusions will follow right after that. The first thing, if I am working for money, who's in the superior position, me or money? Okay.
0: So you put the money in the in the driver's seat if you do that.
1: Exactly. So now money is on the altar to be worshipped. Money becomes the deity. I am looking for it. It's just like if you say, you know, I work for Wawa or I work for Walmart or I work for this boss. We're always putting ourselves in a subservient position to that thing that we work for. Okay, so that mm-hmm. equation has to change. If you want to know how to utilize money? The first thing is you have to change that equation. Okay, that, and that's psychological because our physical behavior is merely a manifestation of our psychological beliefs. What we believe. Our beliefs are are like. You know, limitations are like chains, or like a cell, like a like a prison cell. I live in the prison cell of my beliefs, mm-hmm. I, and I will only act according to what I believe. As a matter of fact, a person will never attempt to do something that they don't believe they can do. So, if I if my relationship with money is based on that psychological and emotional reality. That I have to work for it, i I have just set myself up uh, for a very, very, very long, exhausting battle because i 'm working for money, okay, so now, if i 'm working for money, what does it mean to acquire this thing? What does that look like if i 'm working for something, once you get it, what does that look like? What is that i 'm trying to get? If, when I say i'm working for money. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm working for the paycheck at the end of the week? I'm working for, you know, the money I work for the month or the money I work, what does that mean? You see, even though I may be deeply ingrained with that, it actually has very little value. So what what it is I'm working for has to become clear. So in order to understand how to utilize money, I say the first thing we have to do is redefine our relationship with money and take money off the altar and understand that money is a tool to be used by me okay and and then what i would do is shift that understanding from working for money to putting money in its proper perspective and understanding money has to work for me not me working for the money The money should work for me. I'm the master, not the money. Otherwise, in that other relationship, I'm the slave and money is the master because I'm working for the money. Okay? Right. Now, if I switch that equation around and see money as a tool that's meant to work for me, now I become the master. Once I become the master, Then money takes on a completely different definition from what I have been indoctrinated to believe. So the 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 first thing in how to utilize money has to do with first defining and clearly understanding my relationship with money, redefining my relationship with money, and putting money in its proper place, which is where it should work. For me, and then from there we can proceed with some practical applications of that. One of the practical applications would be that if I make twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and I know that I have this data or data, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. if I have that, then, and I have some financial literacy, I know I need to live. Below my means, if I only make 25,000 dollars a year, I should not create a formula whereby I spend 30,000 dollars a year, or 25,000 dollars and 25 cents, or that I spend 25,000. Actually, I need to figure out how I can live below my means. For a period of time, until I can tame my personal economy so that it's working for me, I have to create some kind of buffer between what I spend and what I make. It's just like in any basic business calculation. In your business, you want to spend less than you make because you want to make a profit in your business. So if a person is financially literate, they can then come to the platform of viewing their personal life like a business from an economic perspective. So you want to run a profitable business, a profitable personal economy. And one of the most fundamental ways is by spending less than I make. And, and and one method to spend less is to decrease one's expenses. That is, uh, that's one of the most basic formulas for a business. I, I believe it's some type of accounting principle in business that says, <laughs> okay, Mr. Businessman, if you want to make more money, one of the, Easiest ways to do it would be spend less, decrease your expenses, work on that. Of course, you can also – you, the, you, the other equation would be you increase your revenue. But many people, especially people who have jobs, don't really have many immediate options to increase the amount of money they make because the amount of money they make is not under their control because they work for somebody else anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so that control is under somebody else's control, and chances are they are not as enthusiastic about increasing your wages <laughs> as you are. <laughs> okay, so they're like yeah, because they want to decrease expenses because they have business exactly, <laughs> and you are an expense to them, right? Even though, but mind you, you are also a revenue source to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be paying you. So right. the equation is. If somebody's willing to pay me $25,000 a year, the question I should have is how much is that person making off of me? Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from you, Stephen, is that we should
0: each of us be thinking about ourselves almost like a little business, right? Like that's the way – and, and this is what I always said, you know, when I was married to my first husband, I said we were very good at the business side of marriage. We, we did the business part well. We did the managing the money well. We did the increasing money well. We did the investing well. We didn't do did the relationship side particularly well, but we did that part just great. And that's the part I think, though, that what I'm hearing you say is, is the part that's so challenging for us as individuals and probably as couples, as families, is recognizing that we can apply some of those same basic business principles uh, of decreasing expenses and increasing revenue to our personal lives. Um, am I hearing you correctly? And, and if so, you know, how can we improve on
1: that? Absolutely. That, that is correct. Because remember, decreasing my expenses, automatically increases my revenue because there's a relationship between and expenses. Like I always like to say is revenues is good news. Okay? Revenues is good news. You want to give me some good news? Give me some revenues. All right? I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't need any other kind of news, fake news, whatever news you're talking about. Just provide me with revenues, and that's my good news. So, but to understand the relationship between revenues and spending, there's a direct relationship. Spending, at the end of the day, if you do a uh, an income statement, an income statement is a very simple thing. Anybody can do it. Okay, businesses do it all the time, of course. But most of us, you know, because of our emotional obsession. With money, we don't do the calculation we 're just obsessed and we're working hard and we're getting upset and we're complaining and we are you know disappointed and when we hear bad news about the economy and about the the stock market and all this, and we just get totally frustrated and we never sit out and actually do the do the math sit down and do the because sitting down and doing the math requires a, a, a stable mind requires a balance. It's not that's not an emotional activity. Emotion emotionality just means that I'm always reacting, reacting. Oh, I heard this. Oh, did you hear about that? Oh, they're doing that. Oh, they do. This is reaction. Okay, so there's, there's a, a, most people are reacting, and as a result, they don't make any progress. But if you get down to being proactive you can either be reactive active or proactive you know just being reactive leads to actions that are responding to whatever i heard or whatever i felt Mm -hmm. if i sit down in a sober way and begin to make the relationship if since i am you know i want money so bad because i think you know money's going to solve all my problems all right well sit down and figure, figure out a formula Figure out a goal, a plan, and a strategy. That's how you accomplish anything. There's nothing. I mean, how does a, you know, how does a person build a building, build a house, build a city, build a bridge, you know, build an app? The same process. They create a goal. They create a plan and a strategy to execute. It's the same thing with money. If I want money, I need to create a goal because just wanting money is a completely unidentifiable obsession. What does that mean you want money? Well, you know, you got money. You got money in your pocket probably. You you got a paycheck. What are you complaining about? So, we have to clarify what it is that we want in relation to money. That's why I talked about the definition of defining money, us defining our relationship with money, okay, and then uh, defining what it is that we want mm-hmm. from money. And, and then here's another question. I'm saying that I want money, but here's a question that I need to answer. Why do I want money? Because if I answer why I want money, I may find that my obsession actually should not be with money. Because really, if you think about it, what we want are the things that money bring. No one wants just money. You can't eat it. You can't, you know, enjoy it or have a, a, a an intimate relationship with it. Money is a physical, material thing. That's not really what people want. If they remove the surface, they want, as you were mentioning, they want the security that money will bring. I want a home. I want the ability to travel. I want to be cool in the summer. I want to be warm in the winter. I want to be able to provide the necessities of life myself, for my loved ones. These are the things that we actually want from money. So money itself is actually not the goal, you see. So mm-hmm. by doing this, we put ourselves in a position of power in relation to money as opposed to being overpowered buying money and all the flashy things, just like you were mentioning about that show of the rich and famous, Mm -hmm. people see that and they are completely emotionally baffled and bewildered because they see that, but then they see the direct contrast to how they live and how everybody they know lives. And it doesn't add up. You know what I'm saying? One and one is not equaling two. It's like, how do I get that? You know, how do I have a swimming pool, you know, that's heated in the winter and that's cooled in the summer, you know, and a garage with 12 Lamborghinis and all that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? That is an obsession. That is an impractical objective. That is not what a person making $25,000 a year should be obsessing with. A person who's making $25,000 a year probably needs to figure out how to decrease their expenses and how they can utilize what they have so they can increase their revenue to maybe $35,000. Then how can they get to 50000 How can right. they get to 100000 Okay, you know, being worried about you know, swimming pools and golf courses, you know what I'm saying? When I'm, I'm, I got two part-time jobs. It's just, you know, it's completely irrational, completely irrational. If I'm hungry and I need to eat, you know, should I be obsessing about, you know, I, 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 I'm hungry right now and I refuse to eat anything unless it's a, you know, a four inch thick T-bone steak. No, if you're hungry You got a dollar, you'll go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger to solve your hunger, right? Because that's a practical solution to your problem. Why would you be obsessing about a four-inch thick T-bone steak, you know, when you only have two dollars in your pocket? So that that's part of it. And then the other part of the relationship with money is when you redefine it, and when you redefine your economy and your personal life and expenses as being your own personal business in your own personal economy it puts you in a position of power in relation to the money so one of the things that I always say is it's not how much money you make that matters it's what you do with the money you make that matters because if the only thing that mattered was how much money you make then Mike Tyson wouldn't have money problems, okay? And an infinite number of celebrities and all these people had millions and millions of dollars who are now cash poor. They had money. They had millions. Did it solve their economic problem? No. Nope. They still have their economic problem. They're still challenged. They still have financial challenges. Why? Because they never address the real issue, which is the issue of financial literacy. It's not money that I need. I I like to say, but it's financial literacy. Once I have financial literacy, I can create as much money as I want. Because because I would have the power.
0: So okay. let me ask you. Let me ask you then, because we're coming. Um up toward the top of the hour in in just a little bit but so what are like if i were to ask you for three practical things give just give me three things that let's say my hypothetical single person twenty five thousand dollars a year living in the city can do um to improve their financial situation what would what would the top three things be of just practical things that they can implement today what would they be?
1: The, the, the first thing would be is make a, um, like I said earlier, uh, cre- make a balance sheet. Balance sheet is uh, you just make a T. You draw a T. And on one side, you put your income. On the other side, you put your expenses. And you look at that, okay, and see, are you spending more than you're making? Okay, you determine that. Are you making a profit or are you functioning at a deficit? Once you know that, that's number one. Number two is decrease your expenses. Live below your means. Live below. Economically, financially, live below your means. Spend less. Calculatedly, surgically, spend less than you make. And the third thing would be create an emergency fund. An emergency fund, in, in the simple terms, would be like this. You take – when you do your, your, uh, your um, income statement, you figure out how much money you need to survive for one month based on your present circumstance. So let's say in order for me to live for a month, I need $1,000. If I need $1,000 to live for a month, I should work towards saving a minimum of three months of my income and save that. I should have in savings three months of income as an emergency resource. And the purpose for that is uh, has many reasons, but twofold. One is that Just in case I lose my job or my income is decreased or whatever, I don't have to panic because I have three months of expenses in storage so that I can regroup. I can, you know, find another job. You know, my cell phone bill, my cell phone is not going to be cut off because I have three months of cell phone bill put aside. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You put that aside. So that gives you a practical economic. It's like The first thing you do is become your own banker. You're looking at your life like a business. Then become your own banker. Get yourself some reserves and some deposits, depository. You need a depository, just like a business needs a depository to handle emergencies, to handle ups and downs because cash doesn't always flow. Sometimes the cash is not flowing, or it flows less, or it flows somewhere else. It didn't flow to me, but I have my, you know, I got my reserves. But now the other, and I think even more important aspect of having that it, that uh, emergency fund, that depository, is that it gives you an emotional and psychological security. You feel more secure, more confident, because you have some reserves. So you're not subject to the whims of the economy or to your job or to your boss or whatever. Or in your business, you may be an entrepreneur. Even if you're an entrepreneur, do the same thing, even if you're in business, because then you're not so subject to the whims of the weather. The weather changes, you're still good. You got three months reserve. You know, just like you said, you know you, want, you know you want to live indoors, right? You want some yep. air conditioning. Yep. Well, okay, if those are the objectives and you want to have that for a long time, right? You don't right. just want it <laughs> like right now. You want that for a long, long time. So put aside some reserves. That will, re- that will give you some psychological relief, some emotional relief, and you can begin to become sharper mentally. And you can become more strategic. It's very difficult to be strategic when I'm emotionally overcome, I'm obsessed, and I'm desperate. It's difficult to be strategic. At that point, I'm just functioning an instinct. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just, you know, whatever. You know, I'm about to go ballistic or postal, you know, because now I'm scared. Take away the fear, do your reserve. Those are three things. Awesome,
0: awesome. Well, Stephen, that's great advice for everyone, not just my my hypothetical uh, young person with uh, 25k coming in. Um, tell my audience, if you don't mind, what do you have going on? How can they connect with you? And and what it is that you specifically offer so that they can reach out to you?
1: Yes. Um, my name is Stephen Hutchinson, and I am a licensed financial tracker, and i'm a tax professional. okay so those titles just mean that I provide certain services that I solve certain problems that's all it means as a licensed financial tracker, I provide people with um, with affordable coverage you know that helps people with tailored solutions to their financial issues. So we help people get the coverage that they need, just like I was talking about that depository. The other aspect of that depository is to have certain types of coverage so that ju- for the just-in-case, because if, mm-hmm. we don't, if we don't function with the just-in-case in mind, the just-in-case is what's going to break us. We're getting broke by the just-in-case the just happened. I wasn't ready. Being ill-prepared is the worst position a person can be in. It's to not be prepared. So we need to be prepared. So I could provide people with affordable coverage, tailored solutions to their financial issues by providing financial literacy, planning, and preparation. And I'm a tax professional, so we do, we process people's tax returns and help them to understand practical financial literacy through their own tax return. So what we do is we use your tax return as not only something we will do your tax return, you'll have your taxes done expertly and accurately, but we use that as a basis to educate you because that's, that, that's your money. That, that matters. You see, a person has an emotional attachment to their own money, so we use that as a basis for education. And we can be contacted. I could be contacted through my website. My website is powertax.com. That's power tax with two Xs. Power, like energy, strong strength, power tax with two X's.com. And my, my uh email address is PowerTax at Gmail. PowerTax with two X's at Gmail. Or I can be reached by uh CELL 610-955-6508 at 610-955-6508.
0: Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Stephen Hutchinson, thank you so much being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all this wonderful knowledge and experience with us. Guys, I really want you to reach out to Steven. Uh, he's got so much knowledge to share. He's, he's an educator as well as a financial uh, professional, so make sure that you reach out to him. Go to his website, check him out, and learn, because we all need to learn more about how we can Define our money, utilize our money, acquire money, increase our money, keep our money, and pass it on. Woo!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: That was a great segment with Stephen Hutchinson. I'm really grateful that he was able to come on the show and share all that wisdom with us. And now we're going to have a little segment of True Talk. All right, well, it is time for True Talk with Julia Black and myself, and Julia, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you know, we were talking um, just the other day about these money issues, these money challenges, or uh, what I call money blocks, and, you know, some of what Stephen was talking about really resonates because you do kind of need to get a focus, kind of get <clears> to... <throat> develop a plan if you will but sometimes there's some challenges with that and what do you think are some of those challenges that people run into
2: well I think there can be a lot of them really I mean money is one of those things that shows up in different ways Uh, our money issues show up in different ways Uh, from when we're kids we don't really necessarily realize that it's a money issue until it comes until we're adults so, for example, you know, people that grew up really poor and didn't have a lot of food, a lot of their money issues is, are going to manifest in, say, hoarding food when they're an adult, when they don't necessarily need it. They have enough money to pay for food whenever they need it, but they feel the need to always buy food when it's on sale uh, and make sure that all their cabinets are really full all the time. Um even if they don't need it, even if they don't eat it, um, that kind of a thing. Or it could be something like a pattern that reemerges every so often. So whether it's, you know, your birthday comes up every year and all of a sudden um, you feel like money is an issue, you spend a lot more money around your birthday, Um, things like that where it where there's this pattern and you have to kind of decide why the pattern is there and what started it
0: well and i think with patterns it's really tricky too because first you have to recognize there's a pattern and i know mm-hmm. like like for me that was a definite issue particularly you know <clears throat> divorced and you know things can get ugly during and after a divorce particularly if there are children involved And there was a lot of uh, using money to, uh, I would say, control and manipulate. And it manifests in a variety of ways. But I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking the other day. You know, for some reason, at some point, my ex-husband decided he would start withholding child support in December, right before Christmas so Christmas was always a struggle for us uh, for for a number of years and it was like he would just hold back child support which was that extra that let me do certain things for the kids it wasn't like it was um, paying all of our, our living expenses it wasn't that much but it was just enough to keep me from being able to do what I needed to do or wanted to do for the kids for Christmas mm-hmm. and then the money would show up like three days after the new year. You know what I mean? Almost like just to say, eh, I still got you. You know what I mean? And so that ended up developing a, a little pattern or habit for me where December was always just a challenging month financially so that even after, you know, kids were over 18, there were no more child support issues and things like that, it ended up being something that I fell into and have been working through. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And you're right, For Discover finding, recognizing that the pattern is there is oftentimes the hardest part, <clears throat> you know, because you're so caught up in the stress of the moment, particularly with finances, right, is that there's a lot of, we, we have all of these things that we want our money to go to, Um, we have everything kind of earmarked, and when we don't have that, then it becomes stressful, and so we're so caught up in the stress that we can't find the pattern. But if you can find the pattern, then that's when things can kind of really get moving so you can work through the block.
0: Well, and then besides the patterns... You know, there are also just these negative feelings Mm -hmm. that you get. And I'm saying negative because sometimes it doesn't feel negative, like you don't recognize it as a negative feeling, but it really is kind of a negative feeling. Like even like you were saying about maybe around your birthday, you feel like you need to go spend more money. People call it shopping therapy, but they call it therapy for a reason. They're feeling bad about something usually and they want to go out and feel better and get that pick me up that they get. From making a purchase, and sometimes maybe that's not the best purchase, you know, or maybe right. not the best purchase at that time, right? So, you know, dealing with those negative feelings and recognizing those negative feelings, whether it's a feeling, you know, like of not not feeling worthy, uh, mm-hmm. feeling of disappointment, or maybe that you disappointed someone else, or right. feeling angry anger can do a lot of things to it and it can cause us to self <laughs> self sabotage and maybe buying you know that extra dress or that extra pair of shoes or whatever it is is actually sabotaging yourself financially right
2: yeah and i think that, that the important part there really whenever you're going to do some kind of retail therapy for whatever reason it's important to acknowledge what the feeling is what you're trying to kind of run away from <clears throat> You know, like you said, acknowledge the anger, acknowledge the depression, acknowledge whatever it is, and kind of work through it. Because I know, you know, <clears throat> America is one of these countries, I think, where it, th- there's there's this focus on we need to be happy all the time. And hey, because of advertising and everything else, it can be, oh, well, here, this is going to make you feel better. But the negative emotion is there for a reason, and it's important to kind of work through it and find what the issue is so that you can actually get better instead of just denying the feeling.
0: Well, yeah, and, you know, our our emotions can act as gauges to give us ideas of what we should be working on, Mm -hmm. you know, within ourselves usually, I think. So that's, that's a really valid point.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, If we were going to give three takeaways, Mm -hmm. what were the three takeaways you would give to folks in terms of ways that they can deal with some of these um, money blockages, whether they recognize them now
2: or not? Um, Yeah, I would say, like we already talked about, look for patterns. Um, Look for things um, when it comes to money situations, any kind of money situation if you're living beyond your means, um, or if there's only certain months of the year where things are tighter, then try and plan for that, right? If you know that every year you have an issue in June, then try and save up another month so that you have enough money to cover it. And then once you get to June, then start to think about what can be contributing to the pattern. Um, and then as you think about what contributes to the pattern, start to think back to when it started. Most of the time, if we can't even acknowledge the pattern, before we acknowledge the pattern, it probably goes back to childhood or it goes back to something that happened so long ago we don't even realize it. So that may be part of the issue, but really try and reflect on what that could be, Uh, Mm um, And then acknowledge the feelings involved. There's a lot of feelings involved surrounding money. There's a lot of them because we have, you know, just our homes are caught up in it. You know, what, you know, the, our food and shelter and everything, all of these things that, you know, that we need is all caught up in money. So acknowledge the feelings, um, but then also try and kind of work through them at the same time and if you can't work through it yourself then talk to your therapist talk to your pastor talk to some kind of spiritual advisor that can help you work through it um and um and if the and they would help you with the emotional stuff and then if you really do need financial advice then then get financial advice um You know, talk to someone that can help you plan for retirement or plan your budget better or help you pay off your credit cards or your student loans or whatever kind of debt that you have. Awesome. So then our
0: main takeaway, guys, are look for patterns, acknowledge and work through the feelings, get some help, get some emotional help, get some spiritual help, and Get that financial advice. We want to make sure that we're all on track moving into 2019. We're going to make lots of money this year. We're going to save lots of money. We're going to invest lots of money, and we're going to feel better about our money. Julia Black, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle and True Talk.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: That's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or Michelleberrard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Don't forget, you can also schedule a call with me if you're interested in writing or editing a book or if you have some other issues you'd like to discuss about your business, such as time management or productivity. Don't forget, our next show will be on January 18th, 2019. Make sure you tune in. You can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, bit.ly, slash, Somewhere in the Middle Radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, bit.ly, slash, Somewhere in the Middle Podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.